Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Cat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 73, You're Weird and You Can Cook. This week we're discussing season 4, episode 8 of Buffy, Pangs, and series 5, episode 11 of Doctor Who, The Lodger. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. All right, so a very special Thanksgiving episode of Buffy this week. Yeah. Nice nice to get a new flavor of holiday since we've had Christmas and Halloween a couple times. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess I just wanted to start with some of the Thanksgiving-y stuff. Um, yeah. And uh, we were talking before we started recording about how funny this episode is. Um, and one of the things which I got the most... Uh, pleasure out of was the like constant references and interruptions back to Thanksgiving. Um, you know, I mean, the plot has to do with Thanksgiving with the, you know, the presence of this ghostly Native American tribe. So we'll get into that in a couple minutes. But there's also just the fact that they're having um, their Thanksgiving or trying to have their Thanksgiving dinner as well, um, which isn't like the most important thing in the story, but like, it's this constant interruption, you know? So like, I just like that, like every time they, you know, should be focusing on defeating the monster or they're having big ethical, you know, debate about whether or not to even fight or what they should do, what's right and wrong in the situation that they keep getting interrupted by somebody, you know, Buffy trying to figure out how they're going to cook or, do they have a ricer or like Willow brought the wrong peas? Um, you know, and Xander shows up looking like he's about to die, but you know, Buffy just wants to know why he didn't bring rolls and everything. Um, and I like the way that it kind of uses the, you know, situation as kind of a slight metaphor for Thanksgiving that like, you know, the having everyone in your house and wanting everyone to have a good time and to get along, but you end up just, like, at each other's throats, you know? So, like, you know, it's everyone screaming at each other, but Buffy insisting that this is, has to be special and we have to get along and we're going to yeah. have an amazing yeah. time. And, um, and Xander at the end kind of says, like, well, you know, all right, we had a big fight and then we all ate food and now we're sleepy. So that's basically what Thanksgiving is about, you know? Um kind of putting the another one of the Buffy like fights down on that you know very familiar like domestic level and everything Mm -hmm. um and uh and it was interesting too um that uh that you know the the lack of Joyce's presence I guess kind of gave an excuse to do like a Friendsgiving rather than a Thanksgiving. So even though I like to have Joyce there, um, it was, you know, kind of interesting that they just sort of, I guess, in keeping with the more independent college student thing, like did Thanksgiving themselves and, Mm -hmm. you know, Giles as the patriarch got to host and everything. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Although I love, I love that. Um, he sort of calls Buffy out. Yeah. She's giving him, Oh, well you're the patriarch. And, and if you're going to live in America, you need to learn our customs and all this. And he's like, yeah. well, this is just an elaborate scheme to stick me with all the cleaning, isn't it? And yeah. she totally tries to change the subject. So yeah, I don't know that the patriarch <laughs> uh, excuse is, is a real valid one in Buffy's eyes, but anyway, yeah. um, 
no, I'm glad you brought it up actually because we didn't really talk about it before, uh, you know, before we started recording. But um, I did want to mention actually that uh, it's sort of we we noticed Joyce's absence in this one, like we haven't necessarily noticed it uh, in previous episodes. I think uh, to this point in the season, she's only actually been in one other episode. I think. Um, mm. And that's, I believe, the first one when when Buffy first goes to college and she's feeling kind of lonely and she comes home and there's Joyce, right. um, you know, right. for like one little scene and then she's gone. Um, there's actually a real world reason for that. Um, and that is because Christine Sutherland, who played Joyce, um, actually moved to Italy during sort of the production and mm. uh, filming of the fourth season here. Um, so even though, uh, you know, they sort of, they sort of avoid it. And then like, you know, in this one, they sort of explicitly, cause you know, I think people would wonder, okay, well, why doesn't Buffy go home? Right. Riley's going home. Other people presumably can go home, but we already right. know that Xander doesn't get along with his parents. So he doesn't want to stay right. home. Willow right. and her mother yeah, Willow have, doesn't have a of, real great relationship with her parents either. Yeah. Complex, at least with her mother thing going yeah. on there. So, um, so we could sort of understand those, but yeah, like, you know, Buffy and Joyce seem to, you know, have a fairly decent relationship. And so you sort of have to explain away like why Joyce can't be there. And, and so that, mm. you know, you know, okay, that's fine. She's off visiting family. You wonder why Buffy couldn't also go maybe and visit the aunt too. But I think right. we're sort of encouraged to overlook that in this particular thing, but. Right. Um, yeah. It's funny. Like I hadn't, um, it's not until you say it that I really go, oh, yeah, we haven't really seen Joyce that much. Mm-hmm. I feel I feel like, um, I guess we're not that far into the season, so it, it, it's not long enough yet that I really have noticed. I mean, and, and And the fact that um, she, because Buffy's not living at home, you know, yeah, I'm not right. expecting to see her all the time. So it kind of just, uh, it did just sort of like, you know, not really catch my notice really mm-hmm. um but now that you say it it's like oh yeah like that actually is noticeable you mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. yeah and i mean we are like a third of the way through the season so it's not like yeah, so you know, I just guess first couple would, episodes yeah. either and so. you would think if there's an episode where you're gonna see her again it would be the holiday and yeah 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 but, and it seems like they would normally like if Willow and Sander don't really get along with their parents. They would just go to Buffy's house for Thanksgiving or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, I will say, we do get to see Joyce again. So it's not like she's gone and we never see her at all. We <laughs> right, definitely right. definitely do see her. Didn't she used to have a mom? No. <laughs> right, right. We definitely do see her. And and, and yeah. she does play, you know, important roles. Like, I don't yeah, mean to imply at all that we won't ever see her again or anything right. here. But, there, but not I just, as regularly as we used to. I just wanted to sort of, because it's because her absence is called out in this episode, I wanted to sort of bring that up that there is this, uh, you know, fact that, that at this time, you know, the actress playing Joyce is not around. So, yeah. uh, anyway. Um, and, and sort of gives a fun excuse, like you said, to have Buffy have her friends giving rather than Thanksgiving Mm -hmm. and, and try her own hand. I like the, the line where she goes, you know, I'm I'm a really good cook theoretically. I I've done a lot of eating. Like yeah. you know, I've done 20 some years of eating or however yeah. I guess 19 maybe at this point. I forget how yeah. old she is exactly, but uh you know, it's it's just kind of that funny funny sort of thing where it's like 
oh, okay, like, that doesn't mean you're a good cook. No, like, a lot of people can eat. Many not years everybody. of intense Thanksgiving research. Yeah. yeah, not not everybody can actually cook. So, um, good stuff there. Yeah, no, but, and it's funny, all the lines about, like, you know, the conflicting... Uh, you know, the lines about, like, the kind of conflicting ideas of Thanksgiving, like, you know, like, Willow kind of thinking, you know, it's not being real into it. It's kind of a, like, a holiday founded on, like, you know, really awful historical events, you know, and, and it's kind of, you know, the whole thing, it's a sham, and Buffy's saying, yeah, but it's a sham with yams, and <laughs> shouldn't, yeah. shouldn't we just enjoy what it represents of, like, family and and grateful feelings and warm fuzzies and all these things. And I like Anya's kind of compromise that, yeah, it's, well, it's ritual sacrifice, but with pie, you know, like, right, right. And, <laughs> and, well, and they're both true. <laughs> and that she enjoys both of them. Oh, I love a good ritual sacrifice. Yeah, and then later really we see her, yeah. you know, she, she likes, you know, whoever it is because she gave her pie. <laughs> like, yep. you know, both of these yep. things are good things. I, I love a good ritual. Yeah. They're both true. And they're both like, <laughs> And like there is the ritual aspect of it, but like that doesn't mean you can't enjoy it, you know. Right, and I love like as soon as she gives like her definition of ritual sacrifice, it's like you can't really argue with it because it kind of you know commemorating a past event with you know a a feast of a you know by killing an animal and eating it. That's actually what we are doing. So that's pretty much the definition of ritual sacrifice. (laughs) Um. Anyway, it's it's but because it's with pie, everyone you know, overlooks it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, and there's absolutely, I mean, you know, ritualism to Thanksgiving, even, even if sort of, I mean, you know, not everyone has like the turkey and stuffing or whatever. That's sort of the quintessential stereotype of the Thanksgiving meal, but like every family has their own sort of traditions too, you know, even if it's not sort of the standard quote tradition or whatever. So um, even in that aspect, you're still getting the sort of ritualism of it. Mm -hmm. Um, Anyway. Oh, well, so so I guess not anyway, but to continue speaking about Thanksgiving, (laughs) uh, this is, you may not be surprised to learn (laughs) um, and listeners may not be surprised to learn a somewhat controversial episode. Um, yeah. In certain respects, uh, especially in sort yeah. of the academic literature. Um, although I'm possibly among fans as well. You know, I mean, they obviously have very strong opinions as well. But um, yeah, there's a number of people have written about this episode arguing. I, I think this is somewhat telling and maybe even people can draw their own conclusions just based on the fact that people argue for it both ways like sort of mm-hmm. or in various ways i should say as either you know taking a more colonialist you know imperialist mm-hmm. stance or taking a more progressive and uh you know understanding or seeking of forgiveness and whatever that you know whatever however you want to interpret that um more progressive ideal like you know and and so i mean um uh, Rhonda Wilcox, I've, I've brought her name up before, uh, wrote mm-hmm. in uh, an issue of an, an essay in Slage um, Journal that, uh, well, basically she she wrote an article on this sort of giving this uh, overview of what others have said about it, you know, to that point anyway, mm-hmm. um, and and just really talks about how well actually the 
the tone of it shifts throughout the episode. And I think that's something that we, we sort of wanted to talk about anyway, but I just want to sort of bring yeah. that up like that, that there is this really good, uh, dialogue going on here and i think you know to jane esmondson and also to joss whedon who apparently rewrote uh you know like the ending mostly Mm -hmm. like that that there is even if you may not agree with whatever you see is the message in this episode Mm -hmm. that that i think there is at least a lot of different ideas presented really concisely without uh, you know, sort of suffering the normal uh, erosion, maybe, of meaning that mm-hmm. tends to happen when you have concise explanations of right. things. So uh, right. I guess I guess I just want to point that out. I mean, people are free to go, obviously, and, and read all those various essays. And actually, maybe we could, because there's actually quite a few of them, like in the introduction, like the first paragraph of her article, Rhonda Wilcox lists at least six or eight you know like other articles just on this episode like not even you know oh it happens to talk about this episode in another you know article or something like that it's it's literally just about this episode and sort of the tone and whatever and and i think um you know other episodes may have got had more written about them but i don't necessarily think that there have been any other episodes that i'm aware of that have had mm-hmm. more sort of diversity of opinion about it right um, which... right well and i'm sure i'm sure that's where like the controversy comes in because mm-hmm. i mean and it's a little bit ironic because you feel like the way it uh you know the the episode does what it should which is to present the variety of opinions but then that's always going to be misunderstood by the viewers into thinking that like it's the show's endorsing a particular yes. view. But what what is interesting is the fact that like I was kind of thinking about like the spectrum of of opinion and we do get like a spectrum of, you know, not among the Scoobies, there are no two people who hold quite the same opinion. Mm-hmm. Like each of them has a slight, and some of them are more in line with others, but each of them has a slightly different angle that they're looking at it. And they kind of range from, you know, Willow as like the most sort of, I guess, kind of bleeding heart liberal of like, you know, wanting to, to be, you know, like she would go so far as to say, give them their land back. Like, you know, the most idealistic, you know, Mm -hmm. the most um, progressive, I I guess it's progressive, or the most sort of wanting to kind of go, you know, so far in the direction of... As well. Well, exactly. So, look, maybe progressive is the wrong word, because it's like, it's it's so idealistic as to be completely, like, impractical. Like, Mm -hmm. really, like, you're going to give them their land, what, you're going to give them California back, or Sunnydale, or what are you going to do? You know, but but also her being the one the most, you know, sympathetic as to what their complaints are and, you know, legitimately wanting to um, take responsibility for what her ancestors have done. Like, and, like her accepting, because everyone else is saying, well, it wasn't me. I didn't mm-hmm. do that stuff. Why do I have to feel bad about it? But Willow, for all her sort of starry-eyed idealism, is the one who's saying, like, no, that was us, and it, you know, we should pay, and we should feel bad, like, she kind of wants to, you know, so there's, might be some, you know, 
drawbacks to her viewpoint, but there are also some really noble aspects to what she's saying, you know, and then Buffy not being quite as, you know, uh, hardline liberal about it. Like she's kind of not sure what she feels the sympathy that Willow feels, but she's not quite sure what she can do about it. And she also has the responsibility to do something as the Slayer. Like, she can't just let... So she's torn between not wanting to, you know, put, you know, be cruel to these people who've had bad things done to them, but also feeling like she should be protecting other people from them, you know? And then you get yeah. Xander just... Xander more in the middle. Xander's more just about... uh I'm in immediate danger, and I'd really like to fix that, you know? Like, he doesn't really have anything against them, per se. He's not necessarily wanting to, like, go out and, you know, take them down for its own sake. It's more about, uh, can we get back to my syphilis, please? And, like, the fact that I'm about to, like, die of smallpox and stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, Giles being, you know, the much more, uh you know, practical, like it's no good, you know, feeling bad about what was done in the past. It's our job to stop these people. They're hurting people and that's a problem and we need to go take care of it. And then, you know, spike on the complete other end, you know, it's, it's kill or be killed. And, you know, like having, you know, zero tolerance for any of the like namby pamby feelings and guilt and all this stuff. And, you know, you guys, exterminated them so no use crying about it now yeah and whenever they said exterminate i kept thinking of daleks so um <laughs> anyway i mean maybe you have some other views as to how those uh different viewpoints are nuanced but my point being like none of those two voices are quite the same like yeah you know and i guess that's and everyone you know I mean, I like that. I like that. Like, that's probably the only way in, like, you know, kind of narrative form. That's the only way to do a story like this, which is, like, kind of about an ethical debate without coming across as preachy. Because, you know, and I think the fact that the episode doesn't really tell you who is right, mm -hmm. you know, stops it from being a kind of... Uh, treatise on, you know, how you should feel. You know, the fact that, like, they're all right to some extent, you know? Yeah. Uh, or they're all maybe wrong to some extent. And, you know, and it kind of lets you decide what you think. Yeah. Um, no, I... So I'd have... I'm sure there are great articles written, but you'd have a hard time convincing me that it really, like, mm -hmm. endorses any one particular view because i think that's kind of the point is that they all disagree with each other you know and they all feel really strongly and i don't know that it necessarily like condemns one of them and supports the other like you know yeah no i i think i think i would agree with you in a lot of that i think the um the interesting thing is is at the end of the day or the end of the episode, however you want to look at it, the um, nobody really changes their opinion either. Right. You know what I mean? Like there's still, there's, it's not like, right. like in other episodes where we, we see someone who's acting wrongly or that we think may be acting wrongly and something either happens to either vindicate their action. Then we realize maybe they weren't wrong all 
all along or or to to actually say yeah you know what this was wrong all, you know all along and so yeah. uh you know the thing that you thought you were doing that was good ends up being bad or whatever like i i think we've gotten quite a few episodes like that in the past and i think in this one even even with the fact that you know willow sort of has chagrin like oh you know my life gets put in danger and you know all of a sudden all my morals go out the window but i don't think that's actually true i think i think there's a point where you do have to sort of put aside your political views and deal with what's in the moment you know kind of thing and i don't think that that means that you're you're giving up on your moral or your viewpoint or even that you need to stop fighting for what you think is right it's that someone's about to kill you and so that becomes the most important issue in the room (laughs) like that's I don't right. see that as as even being her like right when she's literally you know. fighting for her life at the end. It's kind of hard to say oh she abandons all of her moral views. Right, that. it's like you'd be pretty harsh to say that. I right, think. right. So um, uh, you know, I, I would say, and and that seems like the most like the closest to someone maybe thinking that you change your views. But I don't, again, I don't really get the sense that Willow actually changed her views on anything in that instance. She was just trying to stay alive, which I think in any situation we would sort of be okay with that. So, um, but I, I, I think that that in and of itself is telling that the characters don't change your views. And I think that sort of supports what you were saying insofar as it's, we're not at the end of the day or in the episode meant to sort of say, Oh, you know what? Buffy was wrong all along and should have, you know, been stronger or, you know, well, Giles was right. And, you know, we need to protect innocent people now and we can't worry about what happened before or, you know, yeah, I don't think any of us think Spike was right with the, you know, you won (laughs) deal with it. Like, you know, that sort of thing. But you know what I mean? Like there's, I guess just to say that, like, yeah, I, I, I think I agree with you insofar as, like, there's, I think there's a, a fault of some critics, a lot of critics, perhaps, <laughs> to um, say that, you know, we should, that, like, the, the, the viewpoint of the author is the viewpoint of maybe, like, the main character. So, like, right. that Buffy's sort of ambiguous and... Uh, indecisive viewpoint is maybe Joss Whedon's or something like that, or Jane Smith's right, right. or whoever you know you want to ascribe it to. Um, I think that's clearly wrong. I think there are plenty of examples of stories wherein the author doesn't necessarily espouse the views of the main character or any particular character in their work. I think that's actually the mark of a good writer is that you can that you can have your character you know, express viewpoints in ways that are accurate, accurate for them without them necessarily being your own. Um, I think that's much harder to do than to simply write a character who has all the same views as your own. Um, So I I would say that, that I wouldn't probably want to read, you know, someone or watch a show in which that were the case. Um, Yeah. Or like if, or if people have, if critics, you know, have a particular view that they wished the episode endorsed, Mm -hmm. then a little bit of disappointment that it doesn't necessarily like they might agree with what Willow says and feel disappointed that 
you know, she doesn't necessarily convince everybody, you know, yeah. or vice versa. They might think that Willow, you know, is completely wrong and might be disappointed that she's not like completely humiliated by the end, mm. you know, like, you know, there's that kind of I, impulse I think... to sort of want it to maybe, you know, and I don't know, but that's maybe, it depends on the article, depends on who's writing it, you know? Yeah, no, um, I, I, I... So I was going to go on a couple variations, and that was that was one of them. That yeah, like there's the, the, there's the criticism of this episode doesn't clearly agree with the things that I think it should agree with, so therefore it's a poor episode. You know what I mean? Like, well, that no, just because something doesn't agree with you doesn't make it bad, right? You, like, and, and what I what I like about it is that it presents those. It's not, see, like what would be what would really be frustrating is if you did an episode that dealt with like you know, something serious, like, you know, the treatment of Native Americans, you know, by settlers, and then didn't necessarily get, you know, if you're going to kind of deal with that area and not present any of the viewpoints, you know, mm -hmm. like, but the yeah, fact if that you're just preaching it, one viewpoint, then, you know, it becomes didactic and, and yeah, and, or, or not even really give any particular yeah. view. The fact that it presents a variety of them right. and sort of lets you think about, OK, if I agree with, you know, Willow, why do I agree with Willow? You know, like what what is it about her argument that's compelling? And what um, would my answer be to these other arguments that? Right. may or may not bring up good points, even if they're ultimately unconvincing to me. Right. So um, the the other sort of variation on that is I would say, I think there's also a tendency by some critics to read whatever, you know, uh, books or television or movies, whatever, through their own viewpoints and say, oh, well, this is clearly saying, you know, this right. thing that I do agree with. Right. and. right. When in fact, actually, no, that's not true either. That's right. not any more true than saying it. It says the opposite of what I agree with, like, especially in something like this. And and there are actually papers, it sounds like. I, and I haven't read all the papers that uh, Rhonda Wilcox mentions, but, you know, just based on her descriptions, at least there, it, it seems that there's at least one or two who sort of take that route as well. It's like, oh, well, you know, since I hold this particular viewpoint, it it's clear that I'm reading into the, and it, you know, that sort of like proof texting of, yeah. you know, <laughs> of the source actually is not right either here. I think, I think I agree with you that there's very much, uh, you know, a feeling in this episode of trying to illuminate in a, in I think a fairly intellectually honest way, all of the different viewpoints that are held and, and that, you know, you can see it as, of great wrong that needs to be corrected in some way, shape or form. Um, and there's also a legitimate thing to say, you know what, it's removed a number of generations. And so at what point do we just have to say, we need to work within the system that we have now versus, mm -hmm. you know, giving back all of the land, you know, that right. people who own it now don't necessarily have an attachment to what happened way back at the time, you know, right. Other people immigrated after all of that happened. And, you know, I don't know. So anyway, like there's obviously, you know, I think we probably have our own opinions about the episode and I think, you know, everyone who watches it is going to have their own opinions. But I think to say that the episode itself 
takes an opinion insofar as a TV show can have an opinion because it's not an animate thing. But, um, you know, like even if, even if you could say, well, based on this episode, I can figure out what Joss Whedon's or Jane Espenson's views are. I'm not even sure that's very helpful either. Like, so what? They have their views. That's fine. But what does the episode itself say? So maybe after having talked about it for yeah, 28 and I, and, minutes, and, and, we and should... I think the episode goes out of its way to mm-hmm. not take sides, you know? Yeah. And so you may be able to, you know, make an argument as to where the author sympathy lies based on stuff in the episode or based on interviews or biography or whatever. But, you know, they should get some credit. I'm sure they have an opinion and they're welcome to it. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just like... Shouldn't they? Shouldn't they and the episode get the credit for trying to be fair-minded, you know, and not sitting down and writing like a didactic treatise, but like taking yeah. the time to present, you know, different viewpoints that may or may not agree with their own, right. you know? And right. I think do it pretty successfully. And actually, it reminds me a little bit of what we were talking about last week with Vincent, because... Like, you know, again, this is another real world issue that you could, you know, and they, and they do like, you know, they, Vincent's madness is involved in, or his depression, I guess, is involved in that story. Just like, you know, the Native Americans are involved in this. It's not like it's a completely separate issue, Mm. but sort of like with Vincent, you could have made his depression just another monster that gets slayed, but they Mm. like very pointedly didn't do that. And right. again, I think here, you know, if you're going to have the monster, quote, be something that is a real world thing and which, you know, real people suffered because of, you know, that having had that done to them and they legitimately do have, you know, a grievance. Um, I think it's only fair that the that the like our characters angst a little bit about whether or not they mm-hmm. should, you know, like I I would feel way more uncomfortable if Buffy just went out and like slayed all the evil Indians, you know, because yeah, yeah. Yeah, whatever, like I, right. I'm kind of happy that like, you know, there's a little bit of debate about what is going on and everything and what they should be doing or not doing, you yeah. know, what's fair. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, yeah, and I guess you know again, there's a, there can be all sorts of debate as to how successfully that is carried off. But I think the intention of the episode is good in that it wants you to feel like in this instance you should feel uncomfortable about what has to be done. I guess you know, and yeah. and there's yeah. not necessarily an easy answer to the question. No, I think and and that moment where she does hesitate. Right. And gets sort of thrown away for her hesitation. And, um, you know, the the spirit thing there it escapes, you know, I mean, there is that moment of pause because I think, you know, it's that it, it's almost, actually reminds me back to like, you know, the episode with the Silurians and, and the Silurians mm-hmm. in Doctor Who. Silurians. Um, Silurians. Uh, <laughs> you know, where you know, you have, right in that episode, you have the drill, you know, quote, attacking the civilization, but like, you can't, you can't just 
then go up and attack all the humans because like this one select group out of ignorance, not even out of right. malice or whatever, you know, did something that damaged part of your city or whatever. Um, and, and, you know, the doctor even chides, um, uh, I want to say amethyst, but I know that's wrong. What's her name? It's, what are you trying to think of? What, what's the woman's name? Who Ambrose? kills Ambrose? Yeah, I I kept thinking Amethyst, but I knew that was wrong. <laughs> I got some of the letters right. Uh, Ambrose, where you know the doctor says to her, you know, the cycle of violence is never the way, right? It's not. Yeah. You know, that's not the way to do it. So coming back to this episode, you do want to sympathize with you know the people who were killed and all of that, but at the same time, the people the the people who killed the Indians you know, the Native Americans, the Chumash tribe did not, they're not alive anymore. Like, right. you know, so you get this sense of, you know, you're continuing this cycle of violence and, and it just keeps going until one of you literally is dead. And that happens in so far as Buffy kills the spirit and, you know, it goes away, but it's like, what's, what is he expect? Like, okay, he's taking revenge and all this stuff, but and, you know, even Spike does sort of have a good point of, like, you killed his entire tribe and, you know, this and that. I don't mean to shove it off as this and that. That's a very bad thing to have done. But at the same time, it's like, okay, he may not be listening to reason, but how do you deal with people who aren't listening to reason? Well, you just kind of got to ultimately stop them somehow, anyhow, right. that you can. If they're not going to listen to reason then then that's also not your fault right you know like that's like right. you can't you can't be held accountable for someone else who's who's going around killing people and if your job is to stop spirits and demons and whatever from going around killing people you have to sort of deal with yeah. that well and that's the kind of area where spike does end up having a good point that even willow does sort of concede to because you know, there's a lot in what... I apologize for the phone. <laughs> it's election time. People keep calling. Um, <laughs> driving me crazy. Um, there's, a, there's a lot in what Spike says that, you know, we can write off. But, like, you know, basically what he's saying is it's going to end up being, you know, as long as people keep perpetuating the revenge cycle, it's going to... You know, it, it might come down to kill or be killed. And sure enough, like, they lay siege to the house and they attack. And these guys, like, they haven't even finished arguing about what they're going to do when they right. get attacked. And it's like, in the moment, there isn't a lot of room for debate. It's just, you know, you either defend yourself or you don't. Yeah. Um, and that's where Willow does say, like, okay, when I actually am attacked it becomes very simple, you know, <laughs> and if you're going to survive, yeah. you have to fight back. Um, so I, again, I don't know that that invalidates her viewpoint or says that Spike was right in everything that he said, but mm -hmm. you know, you know, Willow doesn't just let them kill her. You know, she does actually, you know, feel that she deserves to live, doesn't deserve to be killed by them. And, you know, yeah, does what she has to do. So, um, yeah. Anyway, it, it's complicated, but in the moment of crisis, it becomes very uncomplicated, but you know, um, yeah. Um, I do, before we sort of move on to 
some of the other stuff in the episode. Um, although we've spent a lot of time talking about this, I think more than I thought we would. Um, yeah. I do want to point out that the Shumash tribe actually is an actual tribe or was uh, actually okay. still oh, is. Yeah. So it's not, it's not actually, yeah. I mean, they're not fully extinct. There's a few thousand, like not a lot, but, uh, yeah. you know, of them still around. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, so like sometimes in these sorts of things, like you don't really know, like, what's historically accurate and what may or may not be. I could totally see them making up a name for like a fictional native American tribe, but um, right. in this case they did not. So um, just wanted to sort of point that out. So there is, there is actual, you know, some real historicity, I guess, in to this episode mm-hmm. as well. Um, I don't know that, I don't know any of the details about their tribe or, or what happened or how much of what is said is true. I mean, we get sort of, willows uh reading out of the history book of you know this idea of the shumash tribe pre-colonialists being you know sort of this noble savage race you know which is problematic from a historical perspective perhaps as well Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like even just that idea um that you know oh there was you know that white people brought war to america no they're you know indians fought as well um right right yeah, that kind of myth of the the noble savage kind of mm-hmm. thing, you know. Uh, you know, so there. Anyway, so I guess I just wanted to point out that that they are an actual tribe, and and that um, you know may or may not sort of complicate things. Um, I wonder. Yeah. I don't know that I actually didn't really think to look at it until just now, but um, you know, I would wonder like if anyone from that tribe had any problems with this episode or mm. how you know what may or may not have been said. Uh, with regard to that. Um, yeah. Neither here nor there, just curious. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I guess any other thoughts sort of on the, the Thanksgiving theme and, and the, you know, the, the quote monster of the Native American spirit um, or anything there? Uh, nope. I think, well, we did get a little reference to Van Gogh with the ears. <laughs> yeah up, so. yeah i was totally a little disappointed that, that we were off by one week <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that would have been our one of our classic weird crossovers right, but right. we missed it by a week um, um i think so one of my favorite um points just in all of all of that is when um buffy corrects giles right we don't say indians we say native americans and he, right yeah, he yeah, goes yeah. well i'm just still getting used to referring to you a lot uh, you know, or to not referring to you a lot as bloody colonials. <laughs> and anyway, yeah. um, I screwed up the saying there, <laughs> but anyway, that's, that's one of my favorite moments. Uh, yeah. Some other good moments, not related to the Thanksgiving and monster stuff, uh, between Anya and Xander. I always like their dynamic. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I especially like in the beginning when she's, getting excited about seeing Xander yeah. dig. Yeah, uh, he has a new job this week. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. We get the sense that he's still trying out stuff. And, like, it's not yeah. just that this is, you know, a new job. He's apparently had other jobs since we last saw him as the um, bartender, right? So, yeah. like, um, Zawillo, I think, says something about, oh, well, you know, but now we don't get free hot dogs on a stick anymore. So at some point he was like maybe selling corn dogs or something like, right, you know, they were right. some sort of like a vendor, like a fast food vendor or something. Yeah. And so Xander is still, I guess, 
finding himself. Finding his way. Yeah. <laughs> we we see that he's still living in his parents' basement and all that. But uh-huh. um, Anya seems yeah. to be okay I, with I, all of that. You know that I I love uh, two things. I love Anya's sort of lusting after him while he's you know mm-hmm. you know doing his work, and she's just there because she just thinks it's the hottest thing. And <laughs> then uh, you know, but Buffy's right there to undercut it with not at all village people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, so. I'm sorry, not to bring up all the Thanksgiving stuff again, but there is a so the sort of the subtle hint in the beginning that a lot of people pick up on, I guess, is the hat that Buffy's wearing is very pilgrimish looking, the black okay. the yeah. black hat. Yeah. Like I don't know if that's deliberate or not. People seem to think that it is that it's it's Buffy sort of espousing a a different viewpoint than willow you know right um anyway right uh it is what it is uh we've never seen her in that hat and i don't think we ever will again so it seems it does seem to be deliberate in that sense but you know who who knows um who knows but yes back to anya and xander (laughs) uh yeah and uh her her upset getting upset with the, like the ceremonial part, right? Where Xander's yeah. not the one digging and Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's not why we're here. You know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um Yeah, no, the, she's always funny. The other the other moment that maybe is a little more significant then is is when Xander first starts feeling sick and she comes over. And it's like you know she came to the house just to find out. Like you could almost imagine that she was down at the construction site waiting for him. Yeah, and like she comes yeah, to no, the house, definitely. like that's like, the impression I got was her saying, "Like you're supposed to be at work. Why aren't you? Yeah, at work? Aren't and she knows there? he's not there. Yeah, right, because she was there, yeah, waiting to watch him dig. Yeah, and so you get this, um, right, these moments, and and then you get like the the immediate revulsion, right? Like she's still getting used to being mortal. Like she's heard of this sickness thing, but yeah, has never sort of experienced it before, even though yeah. she's afflicted people with you know various diseases or whatever she yeah. herself has never been so like it's this momentary revulsion but then she kicks right into this sort of you know almost motherly you know like taking care of him sort of like oh well you must rest and you must you know whatever do this and that um and xander's kind of liking it like he seems to be yeah. oh, oh, oh okay um and he calls her his girlfriend and she seems surprised at that so now we get yeah. sort of Yes, he's, you know, that might be the delirium talking or whatever, but uh, we get right, sort of a least, more... At least his, his guard is down more than... He's yeah. a little we, uh, freer with that than he would be otherwise. He, he, I mean, he jokingly says that, but he doesn't take it back in any way, right. right? Like, he doesn't, he doesn't, like, so I think this is the moment where we're supposed to see, okay, this has become something a little more yeah. real. Like, this isn't just the lust of teenagers and, and newly mortalized people, um, mortalized. Is that a word? No. <laughs> um, that sounds like a, something you wouldn't want to happen to you. Like anyway. Uh, so yeah, uh, Anya and Xander seem to be, and, and even, and then Buffy even brings up right to Willow when Willow says, can we yeah. not invite her? Buffy's like, well, they, they seem to be rather close lately. So, yeah. From well, from sort of all angles, we're getting this idea of, of a little bit deeper relationship, I think, developing between them. Yeah, and it's interesting to see uh, that Willow 
doesn't really like Anya, I guess seemingly just on principle, that, like, even though Willow, there's always, I don't expect, you know, Willow and Xander are ever really going to be together as a couple. You know, mm. they kind of flirted with, with it for just that one brief time, and then, and I, I don't, that's not something I expect to be, like, you know, where they're headed. I mean, who Never knows? Know. I don't know. Um, but, uh, it's so it seems like even though neither of them you know really want to get back together they still kind of just don't ever really like each other's partners you know like yeah it's just like willow's just doesn't she's just not gonna like whoever xander's girlfriend is just kind of you know i would say i think that's probably more true from willow to xander because i mean xander seemed to get along fine with oz like once the whole mess, messy yeah. stuff. Yeah. Uh, you know, sort of got over with. Like they, yeah. you know, like, and we even sort of mentioned at the time, like, you know, they're they kind of are together, and where's that moment of, you know, oh, that's that's my Willow, and yeah, you know, that's you know, so you know what I mean, like where they they're both right. looking at the drawing or whatever. Anyway, sorry. Um, I don't even yeah, no, I I, I I agree. Like they did eventually get along more and um, especially once they got over you know the the hump of all of the betrayals and everything yeah but it seems like willow just doesn't really want anya around <laughs> yeah and it's so i guess i would ask what do you what do you think that because i think you're right like we definitely see that but what do you think is the cause causing that i don't know i think just because i don't really think that Willow and Oz are, you know, I don't think that they are or should be, you know, together romantically necessarily, but I think... Willow and Xander, you mean? Willow and Xander, sorry. No, <laughs> that is what I meant. Um, and I'm so used to saying Willow and Oz. Um, yeah. So, but I think that they've kind of just built in the fact that they've known each other for so long. And, you know have had at least feelings for each other, even if, like, they aren't necessarily, you know, gonna end up together, you know. So, I just, I interpret it as, like, they're just always gonna be really protective of each other and jealous, you know, of, just kind of as a default. Like, maybe until, until they really get to know whoever the person is. Like, Mm. you know, once Xander gets to know Oz and they get to you know, trust each other a little bit more and respect each other, then they'll be okay. But at least for that initial, whoever the new boyfriend or girlfriend is, the other one's always going to be defensive, you know, like, and maybe part of it is just still the lingering feelings of, you know, whatever crushes they may have had on each other. And some of it might just be like a brotherly, sisterly sort of protectiveness of the other one. Mm. So so I would say that that's kind of a jealousy, although I don't know that that means that, like, Willow's secretly still in love with Xander. Like, I wouldn't take it that far. I would just kind of say as, like, that seems to be their relationship, is I don't know that they really want to be together, but they don't necessarily want each other to be with other people either, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, and that just seems the way they, and maybe they feel maybe it's more with one than the other or whatever, but it seems that's, that's kind of seems like a mutual thing. Um, 
that they both seem to kind yeah. of feel both that 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 slight protectiveness and that kind of always nearby sort of jealousy and selfishness about it too. Yeah. And right. And so the question is, yeah, where does that come from? Is that from a romantic feeling? Is that from just because they're such good friends and, and, you know, don't think anyone is good enough for their friend, you know, kind of thing. I, you know, I I don't, and and I'm not suggesting one thing or the other. And at this point, and, and it might become clearer later on at this point, I would say it's kind of somewhere in between. Like, it's more than just, oh, no one's good enough for my friend. Because I think some of it is, like, wrapped up in this long history of what of what they mean to each other and what they've been together. But I don't know that I would take it so far as to say that they are, like, you know, in love with each other, you know? Sure. Um, so, it's somewhere in the middle. I don't know that, <laughs> that there's really a word for that. But. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, and I mean... I think it, what it is, I think, is it's not ty- entirely rational or conscious, you know? I think it's just a thing that they both kind of are compelled by, you know? I don't think there's any reason why Willow... I mean, it could just still be lingering, like, mistrust over the fact that Anya used to be a vengeance de- demon and everything. But sure. it doesn't seem like that. It seems like... This is just an instinctive thing in Willow to say, like, well, I just don't like Anya. Like, Mm. for no real good reason, just sort of because, you know. And I could see that with whoever Willow dates next and are doing the same thing, you know. Um, So, we'll see. Sure. I may finesse that as we go on, but... Yep. (laughs) You, I, I mean, I don't mean, yep, that you will finesse it, I just... Anyway, um, so let's say, I mean, we sort of have some other like odds and ends with like the other characters. Like these are all sort of disjointed. Um, the stuff with Spike. So we get this, you know, he's, he's pretty much getting outcast right on every level. Like you've talked about how things just keep going more and more wrong for Spike at every turn. They do. They really do. And like now... So, like, not even Harmony will take him back. No, um, no. Harmony tries I, to stake him and kicks him out. And I love that moment, like, the juxtaposition of, like, uh, is it b- when Buffy and Riley are talking about, you know, like, home is where they have to take you in. And then there's a picture yeah. of Spike, like, looking through the window at, like, well, vampires couple, yeah. feasting on, you know, this body. <laughs> you know this person and it's just like like it's such a grisly thing yeah. but you're like it's sort of playing on that like you know i'm on the outside looking in i can't yep. join you you yep. know kind of thing well there's um, a couple there's a couple lines like that um oh hold on i have to find it yeah, in I, my think, notes. I think i think buffy few... and willow have a similar sort of yeah uh, like yeah exchange. it's buffy says to willow that's the point of thanksgiving everyone has a place to go and then oh, you cut yeah. to spike with cold and he's in a blanket and he just it, I kept thinking of the little match girl every time Spike kept coming up. Look at this, like, little starving waif who's just sort of seeking alms and everything. And then right. um, and then it's later that I think Riley or someone says the thing about, you know, home, the place where when you go, they have... To... So, okay, so it's the first time where everyone has a place to go that you see him watching um, the, you know, looking through the window... Um, or no, it happens a third time because 
There's the bit with Angel where he's talking about what he can't have and how painful that is, mm-hmm. looking at what you can't have. And that's when you see Spike looking through the window at the vampires. And I love that, like, that's played as, like, a poignant moment. Like, he's longing for what he can't have, but what he can't have is, like, feasting on this victim, you know? But he, yeah. So, like, it's just hilarious. Um, and... Yeah, so I like that they keep kind of cutting back and forth between all of these lines and then, like, how it's significant for Spike. And home, where you, where the place where when you go there, they have to take you in. And t- Harmony just is not letting mm-hmm. him in, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I, love, I love the delivery of his, you know, uh, but babe, this is where I belong. You know, like, he's trying to, like, charm her and, you know, it's yeah. just not working. Yeah. But he can't even really, like... He doesn't even really put any, like, effort into it at that point. He's mm-hmm. just sort of like, you know, just, like, let me in, and she's not doing it. Yep. Um, Very funny. So, right, so then he turns to the last person yeah. you would ever think, of course, right, to Buffy and team, um, sort of trading in on his knowledge about the initiative. Um yeah. His presumed knowledge, although we yeah actually, they don't really get into it yeah they they don't get into it. although I mean he's still there right so I mean that yeah not right. surprisingly that'll come up again right right that was kind of my assumption is <laughs> yeah he will um, eventually give trade them some information but um, the other thing is like we know that he wasn't really there that long and like how much does he really know so like right. you know like this is in a sense, we know that this is kind of a bluff on his part, too. Like, he right. is just looking for some way to survive at this point. I love that, too, that moment where, um, you know, Spice, like, you know, do you know what happens to a vampire when he doesn't eat, you know, for however long? And Giles is like, oh, yeah. actually, I was kind of curious about that. Like, what does that? Like, <laughs> you get Giles into, like, scientific mode. Like, oh, let's have yeah. a little experiment here. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, you know, might see. as well learn a few things while he's here. Yeah, since, since whatever. Um, and, and so now we also get the general knowledge, which is interesting that Willow hasn't told them about Spike, apparently, uh, and his inability to perform. Um, they make it right. sort of another ED joke, you know. And and um, I'm that actually I always sort of surprises me when I remember that. It's like, oh, yeah, like this is where that gets revealed. It's like, why wouldn't you have told them that already? Like, this seems like right. important information that could have been uh, relayed. Right, um, useful, yeah. Yeah, so... So now you get the group, though, knowing about Spike's condition. Uh, yeah, and, and all of that. And um, sort of coupled with, like, Riley's running around and looking looking for him. And we can talk about Riley, I guess, in a minute. But uh, the... Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. You know, the fact that um, presumably Spike could... I don't know if Spike could identify and like Riley specifically or whatever, but I mean, he has at least seen some of the operatives who are in the initiative at this point. So like, right. you know, we're kind of getting this like more and more ironic in the dramatic sense of, you know, these things going on where, you know, there's all these sort of moving pieces, but people don't know who exactly is involved in what yet. And um, Riley and team still doesn't know, you know, about Buffy being a slayer and also sort of they're kind of on the same 
mission, yeah. so to speak, but don't really know about each other yet. So, um, yeah. So I yeah, guess, we'll see. We'll see where that goes. I guess, but yeah, yeah, that's probably plot for another time. You know, it's more like I like that they just let him in, and then he just like sort of sits there and makes sarcastic comments for the whole mm-hmm. thing. You know, and yeah, um, yeah. Right, it's like now he's done as much as he can do. He's captured again, but like yeah. by giving himself up, it's he not. He kind of would rather be there because at least he's yeah. somewhere like where he's sort of safe and you know not yeah. like on the street. Uh, although uh, I, <laughs> I do love that. Like once the siege is underway, they just leave him out there, and he gets stuck. Th- every time the camera goes back to him, he has more arrows sticking out of him. You know, like <laughs> yeah. there's the the. That first one, you know, which almost stakes him, you know, yeah. like it's literally like yeah. like another inch and he would have been just a pile of dust, you know. But and then it keeps going back and every time it goes back, he's got more and more arrows, mm-hmm. you know, so he's like a pincushion by the end. Um, that's funny. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then his reaction to the bear. Undo it. Undo it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Made him turn into a bear. Um yeah, so, yeah, and with Spike, you definitely get the sense of this is, like, you know, he, he'd rather deal with the devil he knows, right, than the devil right, he doesn't. Right, exactly. So yeah. it's, it's, it's this, he at least knows that, like, if he's not a threat, he has a better chance of having Buffy listen to him than, you know, yeah. these other people who are apparently still out looking for him right. and and he doesn't really know what's gonna what ha- they're like, gonna do yeah yeah i mean well, we, we saw them like dissecting you know these right demon things or whatever so like it's i don't know if he knows um, about that or not but he does he at least got word from the guy next door that you know that they do experiments and stuff so yeah he's not into that it's an interesting counterpoint to the like native american plot too because it's sort of like for all that Spike criticizes their, like, softness, you know, and kind of says, like, mm-hmm. you know, these are, you know, like, you've done terrible things and there's no point second-guessing yourself and they're going to kill you, so you need to go out and kill them. And, like, it's very simple, all this stuff. He knows that, that I mean, he's criticizing that, but he knows that about them. He knows that that's how they'll react. And he thinks it's stupid, but he'll completely take advantage of it because he's coming to Buffy knowing if they know I'm not a threat, they're not going to stake me. Hmm. Like, he wouldn't come if he if he thought that, like, they would say, okay, yes, come into the house and then just stake him to get rid of him, which right. they could do. Like, literally any of them could do that right there. Yeah. Um, but he must know or be making a pretty good guess that... If they believe that I'm not going to hurt anyone, their consciences will, you know, ensure that I will be allowed to be safe. Um, Which is different than the initiative, at least from what we know or from what he knows. Whereas, like, he, we feel like if he goes, if he gets caught by the initiative, he's going to get, he's going to die or get, like, seriously, like you know, tortured or experimented on or something like you're yeah. not going to have, you don't feel like they'll have the same ethical debates about what's the right thing to do that the Scoobies are having, mm-hmm. you know, they're like going to be much more, you know, 
coldly yeah. efficient about it. Like he, Spike thinks, you know, so for all that he's criticizing them, he's kind of banking on the fact that they're not going to do the same thing to him. Because mm-hmm. um, that seems to be the whole reason that he's going there. So, right. For Spike, it's even though it's something of a desperate gamble, it's still sort of a calculated gamble on his part, right? Like it's not like, I mean, there are other desperate gambles that he could make, but this one is, yeah, he's definitely, I think you're right. Like banking on their, um, their kindness and, and the, the thought that, yeah, like they really are only out to, uh, reduce threats. And if he's not truly a threat to anyone that he has a good shot at not getting killed. Yeah. Yeah, and I think he's kind of self-interested and opportunistic enough that unless he felt that that was a pretty good risk, he wouldn't risk it. You know, he wouldn't just give himself over to that. So um, it's interesting. I hadn't really thought about that before, but it's kind of interesting to put that next to all of these debates that they're having about what's the right thing to do, you know, Mm -hmm. because you could kind of have the same debate about Spike. (laughs) Should they just stake him? Well, they have the chance. He's right there. He's, he can't Mm -hmm. do anything. This guy has killed how many people he's attacked them. He, if he gets his ability to fight again, he would attack them again without hesitation. Mm. Is there, is there a hard line argument that says, why are you keeping this guy? Mm -hmm. You know, what information can he possibly give you that's going to be worth it? Just get rid of him while you have the chance, you yeah. know. But, but then there's also an ethical issue of, you know, what, how would it be right? You know, he gave well, exactly. himself up. Yeah, like, exactly. You know. Yeah, and that's exactly why they're arguing about this other stuff, too. Because they're, they're good people who don't mm-hmm. want to just go out and kill things for right. no reason. I'm sorry. The phone is ridiculous. My God. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry. Um, so anyway, I think that's an interesting, and maybe that's kind of a little hint of like where, I don't know where the plot's going with Spike, but that could be an interesting plot. You know, if they go forward and Spike gives them some information, you know, maybe he helps them or maybe he gets to the point of where he's exhausted his usefulness. I think that's a debate that, you know, and you might find Giles on one side of that debate and Willow on the other side, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know. Yeah. And again, I don't know that, you know, I think the show does and would leave that to open debate. You know, there's not necessarily a totally, you know, right or wrong answer. Or at least it doesn't tell you what that is. Like, you know, you kind of have to sit there and think, well... I maybe they maybe the smart thing is to stake Spike, but maybe the good thing is to not do that. So yeah, yeah. right, <laughs> yeah, exactly. What's smart versus good could be one way of looking at it. So, um, all right. Well, we're a couple minutes over, but we should mention right. Riley and Angel both. Yes. Um. So the well, Riley. So we don't hear much from Riley. Um, though we get a few more bits about sort of his history, right? I, I, besides, okay, we know they're looking for uh, Spike and all that, but um, we get that he's from Iowa. Uh-huh. One, that's one of the ones in the middle. 
is about all Buffy knows of American geography. Right. Um, and, and that he had a very sort of wholesome home life, you know, sort of what you would expect from like middle America, you know, farmland, yeah. uh, homestead, the word, the, the word yeah. homestead is used, uh, you know, and, and yeah, just this very, very sort of quintessential Midwestern American upbringing, mm-hmm. um, Which sort of seems, thing. That seems kind of in line with what we know about him. I mean, other than the, the, the gun wielding soldiery part, um, like, but you know what? There's but, a lot of that. That's actually that's a, not that's that, a pretty that. Yeah, I take well, that back. <laughs> I, I was gonna say, like, I mean, yeah, like the sort of mid middle America, you know, yeah. soldier type yeah. is is actually is, pretty. Yeah, more pretty close. I think more more on the 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 right side of the political spectrum and everything. But what I was thinking of was the like his kind of boy next door kind of vibe, mm-hmm. and the fact that he does seem like not like he's not like the real womanizing parker like he he right. he thinks that he thinks of dating as a courtship and he wants yeah. to he wants to be take it slow and respect buffy and all these kind of like very like nice the traditional values kind of nice family yeah. values and and mm-hmm. yeah but you're you're absolutely right that along with those more kind of social pol- like the more you know, socially conservative values sometimes go other values as well. And some of those are, you know, you know, not inconsistent with the whole initiative thing. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I don't mean to make too much of that. We do get, um, I mean, the fact that he, he, right. He says, Oh, I just came from across the street and several blocks away. (laughs) Like, you know, I mean, so, he's clearly going out of his way to make sure he sees Buffy before he leaves for, you know, his, uh, Thanksgiving weekend. Um, and we get, we get Buffy inviting him to dinner, to Thanksgiving dinner where it's all of her good friends. Um, which of course sets up a great little opportunity knowing that Angel's been lurking around. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I love, I love that. that, uh, Is this what you're going to say the bit about? We don't have time for personal stuff. And then, can you just tell me who's that guy? Yeah, who is that guy? Like, <laughs> and he like, says it with such like he's so he's yeah, he's so disappointed right. that there's even a guy, you know? Like right. who is that guy? Well, and like so before when Spike was in LA, he mentioned Parker to to Angel, right? This was right after yeah. Buffy and and Parker had you know gone through their thing. And so um but that's Spike, right? You don't know. Is he lying? Is he just trying to get under Angel's skin? I mean, from Angel's perspective, we know he's actually not lying. But Angel may not know, you know, is he lying or are things actually going on or whatever. But now there's a guy. Like, he sees yeah. her talking to another guy. And, you know, despite his not wanting to get involved, uh, he's still getting involved. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and he's still there. Yeah, sort he of, can't help it. Uh, noticing these sorts of things. Um, and you do get Angel, you know, like saying to Giles, like, you know, oh, I don't have the good end of the the bargain here. Like, you know, I have to watch and can't be on mm-hmm. the inside kind of this and that and the other thing. And I guess I wanted to ask you what you thought of sort of Angel's involvement in this episode. Um, 
Yeah, right, because it's surprisingly little, you know, yeah. like, yeah. you're it's... expecting the big kind of crossover reunion, and it doesn't really happen. Um, mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I mean, I feel like... Especially well, coming right I don't want to... I was just going to say, especially coming right on the tail of Doyle's vision at the end of the last right. Angel that episode. That seems like it's going to be foreshadowing a bigger sort of, you know, it seemed like at the end of the last episode, Buffy's in serious trouble and she needs Angel, you know, in particular, right. his help. And then it's just kind of an ordinary yeah, monster. It's like nothing out of the ordinary, really. So... I mean, although Angel does sort of, in a way, come in and save the day. At yeah, the end. no, he helps. Like, he, he helps out, helps. but it's still Buffy who does the main killing, yeah. you know, of the spirit and right. stuff. Right, I don't and, know that, like, Angel's presence was, like, absolutely, like, vital to the resolution or something. Except as, at the end, the fact that she does end up finding out he was there because Xander has a big mouth. And I love that. that like, oh, Angel was here cut to cut to the credits Oops. yeah that that <laughs> final shot of sort of buffy's view of the thanksgiving of table and they're all her, looking yeah. at her sort of yeah. stance yeah is is like it's one of the iconic shots of like buffy like the entire yeah. series it's yeah. just a great and especially with spike tied to the chair like in the foreground you know in that yeah in that shot and they're all just kind of like and he's got like this little smirk on his face and everyone else is kind of like you know oh what's Buffy gonna do and he's he's like yeah and of course to make it through the whole episode of all of them know and none of them are saying and then in the like the last two seconds so I guess that could have a ripple effect you know of of maybe Angel needs to be there just so that Buffy can know that he was there like that that could even be the most significant part of it is that mm. she knows that. And so yeah. um where yeah, that, I, where that might go, I don't know, but um I agree with you though. Like it cuz Doyle it, it didn't hasn't really bother had... me. It didn't really bother me, but it it wasn't as like big of a crossover as I was expecting, I guess. Yeah, not, and I don't mean to imply that it should be bothersome or anything, but I think it is sort of it is sort of yeah um less than i don't know i don't even know what the right phrase is it it just it seems like yeah there should have been more impact and there wasn't Mm. (laughs) um and i've always thought that like ever since i thought which is why why i which is why i guess i wonder whether it would have will have impact later like Mm. is is her knowing that angel was there gonna come up again like like, sure. So, and maybe, I don't know. Right, um, right. And I won't say, but, you know, yeah. it's, it's, uh, yeah, no, anyway, I just, I always thought, like, it, it just seems kind of weird to me that Doyle would have that vision right. then, yeah. you know, of Buffy in trouble and Angel to go running off when Buffy has been in trouble a number of times and Doyle hasn't had any visions about right. her. So right. what, what is sort of the thing that's going on there? So right. yeah, well, I mean, obviously we will or, or will not see, I won't say anything more. Um, I will just note, I guess that the next episode of angel airs obviously immediately after this mm-hmm. episode of Buffy. So like, like literally we get the shot of the Thanksgiving table roll credits angel starts you know what i mean like like this is this is the next 
episode, so you may or may not be far off in thinking that <laughs> that there are uh you know additional repercussions from Buffy learning right uh you know about that um and the next episode of Angel is written by David Greenwalt okay. or at least co-written by him so you know again like going with sort of the idea that the showrunners tend to focus on episodes that have a little more mythological significance mm-hmm. yeah. you know that may or may not suggest something as well sure sure um but anyway, on to, I guess we should talk about Doctor Who at some point here. Yeah, it's um, a good idea. Maybe, maybe we can go on to that now. Yeah. Um, so, a good little episode. I think before we actually get started, you wanted to mention a couple things uh, yeah. production-wise or, or whatever. Yep, I just wanted to point out uh, that the writer, once again, is Gareth Roberts, which you could... Maybe guess by the style and the tone, you know, he does tend to write the comedies and everything. Um, like The Unicorn and the Wasp and Shakespeare Code and everything. Um, and uh, mm-hmm. kind of like uh, Blink and Human Nature, this is actually an adaptation of a story which he wrote, um, which was a story uh, that was written for the Doctor Who magazine comic strip. Um, and so that was, uh, written and published in the 2000, one of the editions in 2006. Um, so it Hmm. featured the 10th doctor and Mickey. So, uh, you know, a sort of vaguely similar plot where Rose is left in the TARDIS and the doctor gets kicked out and he ends up rooming with Mickey for however long. And the same sorts of thing of, you know, he's better at everything than Mickey and makes his life complete hell and everything. And then, you know, and they have kind of a nice little reconciliation at the end, you know? So mm-hmm. if you've read it and I'll link to it in the show notes, cause it's online, it's very short. It's, you know, um, nothing like as detailed as what's in the episode, but the basic premise and the structure is very similar. Sure. Um, and, uh, so it was a story that actually, um, uh, was kind of introduced fairly late in the process of working on the season um, because originally this uh, episode was supposed to be the first episode written by Mr. Neil Gaiman, uh, mm. who many of you may know. Um, and uh, Neil Gaiman's episode was actually going to be uh, a little bit too expensive. <laughs> He's not used to writing for TV. He usually writes novels where you don't have a budget and it's great and you can have special effects and all sorts of things. Sure. Um, but uh, so, you know, rather than do his episode a disservice by, you know, cutting lots of stuff, um, Moffat just decided, why don't we hold that back um, for season six? And, uh, and, you know, give that the, the, the money and the attention that it deserves and everything. So, um, so, you know, they, he pulled in, uh, Gareth Roberts, you know, because this was a story that he liked and thought would work well. And it's something that they could do kind of cheaply, you know, like Mm. there's not a big cast. There's not a lot of effects. There's not really any, you know, big production things you know there's not even any time period that they need to travel to like it's all modern day and you know yeah, can be yeah. done on you know a shoestring budget and everything mm-hmm. um so kind of pulled him in to do that late but by then uh they had cast 
it was kind of, I think, after they had made that decision or just around that same time was when they decided to cast Matt Smith. And so then they kind of decided, well, this is perfect because this episode, they thought, would be even funnier with the 11th Doctor and the way he plays it as, like, completely socially, you know... Inept. Uh, inept yeah. and everything. And his whole, like, just the idea of... Like, because, you know, I think with the 10th Doctor and this is in the comic strip and this is still in the TV version. A lot of the humor is about, you know, how larger than life he is and just how the fact that he's better at everything and everyone, like, it's just, if you're Mickey or if you're Craig, how, you know, how is it to live with the doctor as your roommate? And don't you just feel mm -hmm. like, you know, a schmuck sure. all the time. Whereas you still get that with Matt Smith, but you also get this added element of, trying to pass himself off as human like and his kind of inability to do that successfully mm -hmm. um so we can talk about that but it kind of ended up working out that they had made that decision and then decided you know what this is a great decision because we can make this you know go even farther than we thought yeah. um and next season we will get the neil gaiman episode so <laughs> everybody everybody wins um right right so anyway um those are my production things. Where would you like to start? Yeah. Um, I wanted to start actually with the, I was sort of expressing my distaste for the, I like you, but I don't want to tell you trope. Uh, <laughs> that yeah. seems to appear in various media, uh, TV, movies, books, whatever, um, from time to time. And yeah. only because it becomes actually like a significant plot point here like i guess a yeah. lot of the times it's it's just sort of like oh you know i like you but don't want to say anything blah 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 blah. and then you have this like sort of romantic comedy and this that, and the other thing yep. but then like like they're like that's part of it like so yes that happens but it like they like supercharge it right so it becomes not just you know yeah. that trope but it becomes like the very act of saying you know, I love you and having the big romantic kiss, like literally like saves them all. Right, like, right. you know, so it's, you know, it, it's not just that, Oh, now we can live happily ever after. It's like, if we don't do this, the doctor will die right. and who knows what will happen to everyone else. And you know, yeah. Yeah. All this stuff. So, um, you said you might have a thought or two about that. So I'm, I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are. I didn't really have any well, more thoughts than just to say that it's, can be an annoying trope at times. <laughs> well, um, I guess my my thought and I guess my defense about it is that I think it's I think kind of the point is that it's a trope and a cliche because one of the things I think is interesting about this episode is that um and I've heard Moffat say it not quite in these terms, but I think this actually fits into the tradition of Doctor Who doing a particular genre. Like, you know, mm. like if they if they meet Agatha Christie, it's Doctor Who does an Agatha Christie murder mystery, you know, or okay. or you know, uh, whatever. There's other examples and I'm going to blank on them, you know, Doctor Who does World War 2 or you know, whatever. Yeah, Doctor um, Who does the vampire story. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um so I I think this episode rather than just be like the episode that happens to be set in the modern day. I, I think this is Doctor Who 
does a romantic comedy. And specifically, you know, I've heard Moffat say, like, talk about this as a genre, that it's a flat share sitcom. Like, this is Doctor Who does The Odd Couple. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's about mismatched roommates trying to live together. Like, this is like, you've seen this a gajillion times, whether it's, you know, whether it is The Odd Couple or Friends or Three's Company or whatever. Um, and so, you know, and then specifically the, like, romantic comedy element of that, of, like, you know, the the couple, you know, not quite wanting to admit things and having to, like, all these circumstances which, you know, conspire to get them together and everything. So I think it it's true that that's a cliche of the genre, so my defense would be that they know that and they're working with that as a genre. Like, sure. they're specifically invoking all these, like, tropes of, like, sitcoms, you know, and how do you do, like mismatched roommates living together starring the doctor you know or how do you do uh you know you you know the the doctor being the matchmaker for like the sitcom couple you know who end up having like their big revelation at the end and everything so i think it works because it's like trope aware in my mind you know sure and maybe not maybe it's just a huge cliche but i think kind of like if you do Agatha Christie, you have to have certain things in it. I feel like they, I feel like Moffat and Roberts know we're doing the flat chair sitcom. And so there are certain things that go along with that, you know, and the kind of bumbling, awkward couple is part of that. Um, So that doesn't make it any less of a cliche. And it certainly doesn't mean that it can't be annoying, but, um, but that's my defense of it. And I what I like about that is that that's I don't think that any of that is really obvious. Like this seems like a very surface episode and in some ways I kind of think it is, but um but I think like it's surprisingly well thought through and that like they actually did decide like okay, we're going to do the Doctor Who sitcom, you know, and like we're going to treat that in, as a genre in the same way that we treat Shakespeare as a genre or Dickens mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. So yeah, fair, fair enough. Um, I didn't. I don't mean to say that I dislike the episode or even that it doesn't work from sort of the overall story perspective because, um, you know, it's fine. I just you just want to yell at people who do that. <laughs> you know what I mean? You just want to be like, oh my god, they are both giving so many signals right now. Yeah. And well, and wanna... it's certainly not a subtle episode. Right. It's a it's a big silly awkward, mm. you know, and it is one of like I quite like this episode, but it's not like the deepest, you know. And I don't know sure. that it's meant to be, you know. It's supposed to be fun, and like everything is right there on the surface. Like you know, the second you see Craig and Sophie, exactly yeah how they feel. It's and it's completely obvious, you know. And I guess it's that comedy of manners of okay, how are they going to get there? You know, what, right. you know, you know it's, that they love each other. You know that they're going to get together. It's just how and when is that going to happen? It's as if Nora Ephron had written. It's totally that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, and which is fine. I mean, I like certain Nora Ephron movies too. So like, I mean, I'm yeah. not, like I'm saying, I'm not, it's, I didn't dislike this episode. I thought there were some parts that were really funny and, and good and stuff. But yeah, I, I that trope just always annoys me. 
Yeah. So <laughs> that said, that acknowledged, let's yeah. move on. Um, okay. Amy, we should talk about first because I feel yes. like we'll talk about her quickly. Um, although sort of, okay, you get the stuff where like she's in, still in the TARDIS and the Doctor isn't and, you know, she does this or that. But it's all kind of just what the Doctor tells her to do, right? It's not, there's no like real adventure per se on her part um until the very end where she finds the engagement ring Mm -hmm. in uh either in or near or underneath the doctor's jacket uh i'm not entirely sure where she pulls it from yeah like i think like in his pocket or something like she goes to get a pen or whatever yeah right right she's getting it make sure it's a red pen um yes and and so uh she finds this and you get this sort of significant look yeah. at the end and cut to next time and I quickly <laughs> I, I, I quickly turned it off so that I don't know what happens next time. But yeah. um yeah, so I mean you had mentioned that we should not forget about the engagement ring. And so here of course Yeah. I had not forgotten about it. <laughs> and I you know, that's cool. She found it. Now what does that do? Um we also get actually it's not quite cut to the next time because we get a moment of the crack right where it seems to sort of flare up maybe a little bit or grow yeah. wider or something um as she's like picking up and looking at the ring so like there seems to be some sort of connection some sort of significance yeah uh, between the two of those things so yeah. Uh, yeah yeah and did you uh I can't answer this question and maybe speculating is not that important other than just out of curiosity. Did you get the impression that when she found it, it uh, seemed like familiar to her or was it more, or do you think it's more that she's just kind of trying to figure out why does the doctor have an engagement ring in his pocket? Um, I could not read one way or the other what she was thinking, honestly. Mm -hmm. And I tried to make sure like, both times when like I saw what was going on, I'm like, mm-hmm. all right, I'm like, okay, this is a significant yeah. <laughs> moment. Like <Yeah. laughs> there are some moments where you can just sort of listen to the dialogue maybe and not pay as much attention to, but like, yeah, yeah, like, no, I was definitely trying to read her face and I could not like, you know, there is sort of a look of, I don't know, shock, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe surprise a little bit, but like, I'm not sure what that means. Mm-hmm. You know, like what, what is the shock? What is the surprise? Is it, yeah, like you say, the, that he has this ring in his jacket pocket or that maybe she does recognize it or that like it's familiar to her, but she's not quite sure why. Right. Like I could see that like, you know, sort of like a, a hybrid, like yeah. she knows, you know, like like uh, thinking of like encounters um of the third kind where, where, you know, it's like, <laughs> this, this is important. Something. This yeah. means something. Yeah. Like there's, there's something here. I just yeah. don't know what it is. Yeah. So, um, that sort of thing. Uh, yeah. so yeah, I don't know. I mean, so I guess in a way that's an answer that no, I didn't, I wasn't able to sort of discern one way or the other, what she was thinking from that. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway. yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, very anxious to get this conversation over so I can go find out. <laughs> I know. Um, but that said, we should still have the conversation. Uh, we should. Going on then from uh, Amy. So. 
Yeah, let's talk about the doctor. Talk about the doctor. Yeah, let's talk about the doctor. The doctor trying to act... Because we've talked about the the 11th doctor's social awkwardness. So Mm -hmm. here, this episode is all about his social awkwardness. Uh, And some other stuff, too. So, go ahead. Yeah. What, what, What jumps out to you? I mean, just starting right at the beginning where... I mean, after sort of the, you know, he falls out of the TARDIS and it disappears. Yeah. Like... The, the whole, okay, Craig's working up his, you know, I'm going to tell her I love her. And so he's, I love you. I love you. And he's running towards the door. And he, of course, you know, you it's not going to be her. And he opens the door. I love you. Well, that's good because I'm your new lodger. You know, like, they're very, very funny. Um, yeah. <laughs> very funny moment. Um, no, I just, I like, you know, you get, and we've, we've maybe not in quite the hu- as humorous of a way. I mean, but we've got before that he doesn't really have like a concept of money, but right. you know, I like he well, just hands a bag. He's like, that's probably quite a lot, isn't it? Looks like a lot. Is it a lot? I can never yeah. tell. <laughs> and, <laughs> like, and, and I do want to be clear. Like, I think the social awkwardness is particularly uh, unique with Matt Smith, but I don't know that it's exclusive to him because again, it's all a matter of degree and emphasis. You know, it's not like we haven't seen that before because that's absolutely what I think of as, uh, tenant and girl in the fireplace of, yep. of I'm gonna need money okay where do you get money I've always been a little bit vague about money like he doesn't yeah. really understand he has a an intellectual kind of understanding but not a real like true right. understanding of right. what money he, means he knows that you need money to do these certain things yeah but he doesn't have any concept of yeah like is this a lot it's probably a lot I don't I yeah. don't know I can never tell like I Maybe just, I, I just need a lot more. I love that line. Have some rent. <laughs> yeah, have some rent. Right. Um, and, and um, you know, sort of the, the effect that it has, right? Because, like, then Sophie's like, well, where did he get this? Like, is he, is he a dealer? Is he, a dealer? Is he right. Like, you know, he's, he's just called the doctor. Like, right. you don't know his real name. You don't really have any credentials per se. Yeah, and shows up with uh, cash in a bag. Has like, what are bag you going to think? Yeah. Yeah. Bills. And so... Um, yeah, no, just some funny stuff there. And then, um, I also like the moments where, uh, he's talking about, um, what to call him. So he goes, I'm, I'm the doctor. Well, they call me the doctor. I don't know why I call me the doctor too. Still don't know why. (laughs) Like, like, and you get this, which actually, I mean, which is an interesting, interesting line. That's a really interesting, I like, it's a total, it's a total throwaway, but it makes you go. Wait a minute. What? What is he saying there? Like, yeah, does he, he really not know? What? Like, what is he implying? If anything, and he's, you know? he's the one who tells people to call him the doctor. Even right. so, like, <laughs> right? It, like, when did this start? And did it ever have any meaning? And if not, right. then what does that yeah. mean? That it has no meaning? Like, yeah, no. <laughs> it's a total like huge mythological <laughs> point, which is totally just like thrown away as a joke. Yeah. Um, I like that a lot too. Um, and then sort of similarly, I'm good at fixing rot. Rot. Call me the rotmeister. No, I'm the doctor. Don't call me the rotmeister. <laughs> like he's, he realizes what he just said. Like yeah. pe- people might actually start calling me the rotmeister and then I won't remember yeah. why. <laughs> like this, this could not be good. Yeah. Um, and that, that reminds me of the like Huda man. And then, oh, uh, I'm never saying that. Yeah. Again. Never, never mind. That. No, no, don't listen to me. Um, um and then sim- similar to the money thing is the uh, 
when he can't remember like even what century is the appropriate century to be you know oh i i learned to cook in paris in the 18th century no hang on that's not recent <laughs> like 17 no i never get them right in the right order um like just yeah. just this idea that and even we got, I mean, a little bit of that last week where it's like, oh, so this is how time really passes, like, for most right. people, the, you know, all slow and everything. Like, yeah. you know, but you get this sense of, like, when he has, when he's without his TARDIS and without the ability to just jump to wherever he wants to go, he really has no clue how <laughs> the yeah. world works and right, right. how things, you know, happen. Right. So, um Right. Like, and again... Again, like Girl in the Fireplace, you know, a, a less funny version, but that idea of, oh, I can live on the slow path. And you think, you cannot live on this. You have no, no idea what yeah. you're talking about. It but be, he kind of imagines that you. he knows what it would be like, you know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, right. It's, he's kind of putting the best face on things. And like, right. like even here, it's like, oh, you know, oh, it should be, should be fixed in, you know, whatever, a few days or a couple months. Or I don't even know if he gives sort of a time frame and as far as when, mm. but it's like, oh, I'm on a, I'm on a fun little stakeout. And it's like, no, right. anyone who's been on a stakeout after 20 minutes knows that you get bored after 20 minutes yeah. on a stakeout. So not that I've ever done it, but you know what I mean? It's just <laughs> yeah. like, that's sort of the, the thing is, you know, you know, he's not just going to be able to sort of keep his nose out of things and right. hang on until, you know, things resolve themselves or whatever. Um, yeah. Anyway. Um, but he but is apparently the, a good cook. He, yeah, yeah. Which is surprising. <laughs> apparently he's a great cook. Surprising, um, especially since he made Amelia make all those things for him in the first episode. Yeah, I know. Well, like he, he wasn't really feeling very well. That's true. He Right, he did walk into a tree just a moment before. Yeah. So it's, you know, things are not quite working well at that point. Yeah, he um, wasn't quite himself yet. Um, with the social things too um do you <laughs> i know i've seen some complaints about this and i i have to admit i can see the point of that this is a bridge too far but do you like all the like double kissing on the cheek and everything with all That's the different characters yeah it's pretty funny i mean i mean there is a part of you that goes okay he's never done this before you know, why all of a sudden does he not know how yeah. to meet somebody? But again, I think it's like you said, like, where, I mean, A, it's just really funny. You know, especially when he does it, like, in a towel or when he does it to, like, the football player or whatever, you know. Right, but, right. Um, but I think there's a point of, like, normally he's not, he doesn't, he's not caring to try to make himself human. It's like yeah. he's going out of his way to try to be normal and in doing that, He's getting everything wrong. So it's only because right. he's sort of putting thought into it that he is completely like overdoing everything, you know, and just yeah. taking it too far and being completely unnatural about it. So I think you can kind of get away with it. Uh, I think you know. that I think. Yeah. So one, I, I see it pretty much as the same as not knowing, you know, how much money is too much or not right. knowing, not even really being aware of what century it is. Um, so I, you know, he knows that this is a custom somewhere and so right. it probably must be a custom here. Um, yeah. that kind of thing. But yeah. I think that the difference with that being is that those other things are sort of one-time gags. Whereas just right. by the very nature of it, he has to do that every time he meets a new character. Right. So 
It does. Yeah. I can see it being getting to be a little bit tiresome to some people. Honestly, yeah. it didn't bother me that much though. Like I did. I actually yeah. I should say I wasn't bothered by it at all. So like, yeah. even yeah, though I, I could you... understand why some people might not like it, like I yeah. thought it was fine. Like it's funny. I didn't think. I didn't think it was too much, even though I can see why some people might think it's too much. That's um, how I feel. It's like, okay, I get the point, but I also feel like you take it in the spirit in which it's intended, which is just yeah. a bit of comedy, and, you know? And I, and I think that the incidents of him doing that are far enough apart that you kind of forget about it. So when he does it again, <laughs> it's you're kind of like, oh yeah, yeah, like that's, <laughs> like, well, I and they get Yeah, that. like they get more and more extreme like he kind of does it to craig and then he does it to sophie while he's like naked in a towel and then he does it to like this you know guy football player that he meets like like mr like tough football. yeah like so it just gets like more and more ridiculous each time he does it right um but yeah i didn't i I wasn't bothered by it or anything i thought it was funny um so since we're talking about all the funny stuff then of course you get the headbutt um to like (laughs) The mind meld headbutts. Another know, like, another callback to Girl in the Fireplace, although much more violent this time. Yeah, yeah, and a, definitely more of a one-way thing um, happening here. And um, I thought that was kind of funny and, and interesting. It's like, you know, immediate data download. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess just sort of, so that Craig could know who he was and understand who he was. Although I feel like it's also, I did feel sort of the first time that I watched it. And, and again, I don't want to make this more than it is. Like I, it doesn't yeah. ruin the episode or anything, but um, I did feel like it was kind of a cop out just because like he is usually able to sort of convince people that he is who he says he is without resorting to headbutting them. Right, so like, right, right. um, but I get also that this is meant to be, and it and it's a funny thing in the moment. So I don't right. like it. Definitely comes. I think it works fine. I just I did sort of get that little bit of sensation that like oh it's it it is sort of a little bit of a cop out even though it's funny and, and I think the the main complaints that I've seen like oh, this is a popular episode um, mm-hmm. because it's so much fun I think but the main complaints I've seen about it are mostly that that. A lot of the things are sort of one-off things that are done for the humor, but that don't necessarily jive with the rest of what we know. We Like, it's stuff that never really yeah. gets, like, whether it's the kissing or, like, you know, or the headbutting. It's, like, it's funny, but you kind of do feel like it's just for the excuse of being funny. It's not because, like, mm-hmm. it makes any sense for the way that the doctor has ever been played or you know, it's not necessarily something that will be used again, you know, right. it's, and, and again, it's like, you can see it both ways. Like on the one hand, I can see how that is kind of an annoyance. Um, on the other hand, if it works, it works, you know? So then you're kind of like, well, would, do you really not do it just because it's a one-off or whatever? So I think there's kind of similar things. Um, sure. Actually, sure. I feel like he does the kissing thing again at some point, but now I can't remember. I don't know that he ever does the headbutt again. Um, could be oh, you mean that. like again in a different episode? In a different episode. I, I think he does the kissing thing again, but I can't remember when. We mm. might see that again. Um, but 
Fair enough. Uh, continuing in the humor vein, because I want to make sure we get all these in. Um, uh, another part that always has me uh, just sitting grinning is the football game. Um, oh, yeah. And uh, it works really well because Matt Smith was actually on track to become a professional football or soccer player. Oh, um, really? And he uh, had to give it up professionally because of an injury. Um, mm. So he couldn't mm. do that, you know, as a career. So he went into acting, but he's obviously really good at it. Um, so again, taking advantage of what your cast can do, like, you know, um, I just sure. love, I just love the, <laughs> like everyone cheering on the doctor as he, and he has no idea what position he's even playing. He has no regard for any other player on the team. He's completely stealing all the shots away from everyone. But he's having such a great time that you kind of can't really begrudge him. Um, And then even just the little touches, like the tweed jacket over his uniform. and, um, (laughs) And I think maybe the funniest part in the episode for me is when the the other guy talks about annihilating the other team and he goes into his like oncoming storm mode of like, yeah, yeah. you know, I'm going to stop the evil and you can, Oh, you're just talking about football. Like, I think that's hilarious. Yeah. No, that was, a, that was a funny moment. Definitely. He's, Oh, you're talking about just beating the other team. Right. Okay. <laughs> I, I gotcha. Yeah, totally. No yeah. annihilating. Not while I'm around. Not ever. I'm the doctor, the oncoming storm. You know? It's hilarious because we've seen yeah. that so many times, you know, so it's great to have him like completely overreact to something, mm-hmm. you know, and you yeah. kind of see like what a front that is, you know, like right. when you don't actually have him confronting evil, when he's just sort of saying that you kind of realize like how ridiculous it is. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and we haven't had an oncoming storm reference in a while, so no, we there, haven't. No, it's go. time for one. Um, yeah, no, that's that's definitely a funny moment. Um, as far as like, I mean, and you get like, well, and you get moments like between him and Craig and him and Sophie, I guess too. But maybe mm-hmm. we can talk about that yeah. with with them. So. Um, yeah, like a lot of this episode, like he, other than sort of the funny stuff, there's not a lot that happens, <laughs> right? You know, like for him, like it's yeah. a lot of sort of waiting around. Like I guess he builds this, you know, weird contraption in a, you know, in his room or whatever. But it's not like, <laughs> ooh, wait, modern society awful. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I, I do like that when he sort of passes it off as like modern art, and you know this weird statue that's commenting on modern society. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, you're right. Like it. And I think that's part of like, it is, this is one of the lighter episodes and like less, you know, it's not really as much about the mythology or the plot or even like character stuff per se. It's more like, comedy set pieces mm-hmm. you know like excuses to have the doctor in funny situations um, right which is fine i mean there's nothing wrong with that maybe there's yeah. less, no, less for us to talk about but um enjoyable to watch but 
Um, so I guess going on then to the stuff between Craig and Sophie, um, the, the whole episode really is, um, really, I guess it is sort of their romantic comedy, right? The, yeah. the stuff, the, the, oh, you know, here we are for pizza, beer and telly night. And right. It's, you know, oh, my friend called me and I should go, but I don't have to if you want me to stay. No, no, it's fine. We weren't doing anything important. Well, yeah. but we had plans. No, no, it's fine. It's just pizza. It's not <laughs> yeah. a big deal. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, all that kind of whatever stuff. Um, and the doctor, I guess, I in a way becomes sort of like, the catalyst, but like he doesn't work real well mm-hmm. as the catalyst. Cause like he, he like, he, you know, um, well you get Craig's, you know, Oh, I confessing to the doctor, I can't see the point of Paris. I'm not much of a traveler. And, and, you know, the doctor trying to say, well, you know, why is it that you're not a traveler? It's, you know, cause you want to stick around. Like, and then you get the idea that he gave up a job in London, like mm-hmm. that could have paid him a lot more money. Well, why did you give up that job? Well, you know, I don't know. I just don't see the point of London. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> all this stuff of, you know, he's sticking around for some, yeah, some reason um, that he, he seems to know because when Sophie leaves, he's like, oh, I should have told her. I should have told her. Like, yeah. he seems to, it's not like. He oh, doesn't realize, yeah. Oh, yeah. I like her, but I don't really understand that I like her yet. Yeah. It's right. Like it's he, not like, it's not like Riley with Buffy. Like, where, like, he doesn't, he's not really aware of, you know, the feelings yeah. which are obvious to other people. Um, right. Craig, um, it seems more like he knows he just can't bring himself to tell her. And I mean, so the sort of, I don't know if it's cliche or whatever, or, or we don't ever really get from him directly. I don't think why he won't tell her, but I mean, presumably because he thinks she would reject him, you know? And I mean, we do get sort of the oblique comment about, Oh, you know, well then you'd have to settle for me if, you know, Mm. you can't find anyone else kind of thing. And, and she sort of repeats it back to him. Well, you'd have to settle for me first. And of course, we both know that they're both wanting the other to settle for, right, the, right. you know, each other. But um, neither of them seems to notice that. They're so focused on, oh, you probably never would want me that right. they don't seem to see that the other person actually does want them. So um, as far as as far as Craig goes, I guess, the um, I don't know. It's just... <sighs> It's hard to talk about him because he's just sort of just a basic guy. And that's, <laughs> you know, and, and I and like I get that that's the point. But yeah, like that yeah, yeah. that is kind of the point, like that he's just your average Joe and he's not anyone, quote, special or whatever, except that apparently he is to Sophie. Like for whatever reason, they've become really good friends and yeah. want to be more than friends. And um, so then it becomes extra frustrating when the doctor comes around and starts (laughs) doing all these things like, you know, playing in the football game or interrupting, or like you get the odd comment from Sophie where 
not odd, but like the, you know, offhand or whatever, where it's like, oh, you didn't tell me he was gorgeous. Like, you know, and Craig's, you know, not your looker kind of guy. He's average. He's overweight. You know, he's, you know, not going to win any beauty contests. Um, Right. And of course, Matt Smith comes out in in his howl and everything. So, yeah. So the doctor is just going to, it would be tough to be compared to the doctor, you know, Uh, Certainly this doctor, you know, um, I mean, the doctor's always going to be a force of personality, you know, but, uh, I think especially then when you have, you know, a young, good looking doctor like Matt Smith come in, you have that on top of it as well. So, right. Right. Um, so yeah, so you get these, get these moments and then, right. The, the soccer game, the football game or whatever. And the, um, and the job too. <laughs> he goes in and the job completely and, does way better than Craig would at his job. And the the planned night, you know, where where Craig sort of asks him to stay out of the way, and yeah, he does everything but stay out of the way. Um, <laughs> his head just sort of appears between them on the couch. Yeah, yeah, right. Much to Craig's chagrin, and you know, Sophie doesn't seem to mind that he's there or whatever, you know. And of course, I don't. I mean. You get sort of the encouraging nods from her, but you don't really know if she knows what Craig is about to say. So, right. you know, it's just like, it's just, yeah, sort of comedy of errors type thing mm-hmm. um, and all of that. So I don't, I don't know what else to like say about all of that. So then I guess other than maybe flipping over to the Sophie side of things, like we get a little bit less of that, right? Because it's, Sophie's not the the flatmate so it's right. you know we don't get to see sort of the interactions with just her and the doctor or anything but um you know definitely i and i didn't like i wasn't expecting that they worked together too although maybe they right. did I, I can't remember if that was mentioned yeah no i feel find. like that caught me by surprise too um, um so maybe they just didn't really make that clear but yeah like so you get the fact that they work together which must maybe be how they met although i guess i would i would i would assume so it seems like that to me um and and the moments of like you know similar to craig like she hasn't sort of pursued the things that she might want to pursue uh simply because she wants to stick around and i i guess we get even less really from her like does she actually understand that she likes craig or is she maybe a little yeah. less clear on that point. We don't, we don't really get. Yeah. Um, it's hard to say. Right. We don't really get a good, good idea of that, but, uh, I mean, you do get the sense, I, I guess I, I would, I would sort of guess that she does in the same way though, that for yeah. some reason, although it seems to me that she would have much less reason to think that Craig would reject her than the other way around. <laughs> um, because she is quite attractive and, you know, whatever. Like, you know, she, I mean, and, you know, I mean, maybe she's not supermodel, but she definitely is, you know, on scales, she would have a higher number than, you know, uh, Craig sure. would, so to speak. So, uh, you know, if you're talking like the 10 point scale or whatever, um, <laughs> the sort of stand, you know, the standard scale of attractiveness, of course. Which I believe they have, like, the international measurement, you know, stored yeah, away. Yeah, the international it's like, standard. Yeah, it's like the, you know, palladium meter. It's, you know, the... 
there's the ten point scale of love or of attractiveness. I mean, oh god. Um, anyway, so you know, but apparently she's of a similar lack of confidence that Craig right. is, and for whatever reason, um, and so you get the you know Craig's so sort of concerned with how the doctor is making him look that he ends up looking like a jerk because he like sort of ignores her and is just like, yeah, whatever, fine, go play with your monkeys or whatever, you know? And uh, he doesn't quite say it that way, but do whatever you want or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, He just kind of like flips her, not flips her off, but like (laughs) brushes her off (laughs) and, um, you know, and, and so she's over, you know, researching about leaving and whatever. And, and so you do get these, moments of of the two of them just kind of like you're not really they're not really paying you know sort of the the whole frustration of it is that they're not paying attention to each other even though they sort of want to be with the other person they're not actually paying attention to what the other person wants or is looking at um and so that then eventually you get the doctor uh, well, you get the doctor first saying to Sophie, you know, everybody's got dreams. Very few of them, very few are going to achieve them. So why pretend? Mm. Uh, it's a big old world, Sophie. Work out what's really keeping you here. You know, it's like, and and he does that, you know, sort of tricky thing where he yeah. gets her to say that she can go do anything she wants, and right. and she sort of realizes like, oh, well, I can. So then, why am I here? Like, what is keeping me right? Here? And I like that that. Um, cause it kind of seems like it's a, it's going to be a thing of the doctor, like inspiring another person to like, go give up everything to travel in the TARDIS kind of thing. Like just go live your dream and travel and all these things. And that's great. But like, I like that it doesn't just become that, like that it doesn't just become like, you know, like your life isn't fulfilled if you're not living it the way the doctor does, because what it really becomes about is work out what you really want. You know, like it, it's not right. about you should go work with monkeys in Africa. It's about why, it, like you can almost see the doctor, like the doctor's way more like he knows like what they're really like. Cause he's saying like, Oh, you have all these keys and you really like it here too and everything. Mm-hmm. So like, you kind of feel like he's clued into what's going on. So it's not so much him saying like, you need to quit your job and go volunteer. It's more about figure out why you're staying, figure out what it is that you are actually wanting. You know, right. if you're not going to do this thing, maybe there's a reason. Um, so I kind of like that. It, like it, he gets her to embrace what they, or gets both of them to embrace what they really want. And it's not just mm-hmm. like, Oh, you're wasting your life. If you're staying here, you know, like that's right. not quite what he's saying. Um, so no, but that's right. But that's how she sort of initially, right? It kind of seems like that's what he's saying, but in the end, I don't think it really is. Um, no, I I don't think so either. There's that turn that you know, he sort of, yeah, he sort of puts it back on her, like, okay, so if you can go do anything you want, then why aren't you? Like, what's what's the reason that you're saying here, and, and you should work that out, right. Um, and not, and it's not a command. It's a for your own sake. Yeah. Like this is do yourself you a favor. Do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and 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 of course he takes a sip of wine and spits it back out. 
<laughs> we have the continuing <laughs> theme from the food in the first episode and then the grass. You have them tasting yeah, like things. Tasting and then, and oh, I don't like that. Just spit it back out. Um, so, yeah, so you get... Um, so all of that then sort of culminates, right, when it's Sophie who gets called to help upstairs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they realize, it's Craig, I guess, who realizes that it's actually Sophie up there, and they go up, um, you know, find out all the stuff with the TARDIS and this and that and the other thing. We can talk about it in a minute. But, like, you know, you get to the culminating point of where, you know, the doctor's the one in trouble, and and... You know, he's saying, all right, you guys need to talk like right now, <laughs> like something's going to happen. Work that's your bad crap if you out. Don't. You need to work out why yeah. you're both sticking around here and um, you get the mutual declarations of love and, yeah. and you get the. Well, and that because the spaceship wants people who want to escape, it mm-hmm. is, be- is their very desire to stay with each other that becomes the thing that you know, deactivates it, I guess. Yeah. Um, and I was going to ask you about it because I'm not real, like, okay. Any any final not... thoughts on their relationship before we get into sort of the mechanism? Yeah. Um, I don't have any, actually. It's, oh, It's okay. fine. I'm asking, do you have any? <laughs> well, the only thing I thought of was, it struck me this time that there's kind of a parallel to Amy and Rory a little bit because... It's kind of this similar idea of, you know, the the couple who, uh, not quite the same, but like the the girl who maybe wants to go out and have more adventures, and and the guy who's more content to really not do that and would rather kind of be more the stay at home. Um, but you get that thing at the end of Craig saying, you know, if we're like now that we're together you know, we can go anywhere. And if you want to go to Paris or you want to go work with monkeys, I'll go with you, you know, and Mm. I can see the point if we're there together, you know. So that reminded me a lot of Rory kind of having a similar reaction to Amy. Like, he doesn't necessarily want to travel in the TARDIS, but he wants to be with Amy. And so, you know, if Amy wants that, it's her choice. And he is, you know, kind of... Uh, willing to go, you know, go those places if that's important to her. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, that's less about Craig and Sophie and more, but it's a nice little parallel, I think, of kind of what we yeah. saw with that relationship. I'll be honest, I did not pick up on that at all. But I think you're, now that you pointed out, I think you're right. I think there is a bit of a parallel there and, and that makes sense. Um, the other thing, I guess, the only, like, the last thing too is I like the little note at the end about um, him giving the doctor the keys and the doctor saying, yeah, I'm probably, or, or the doctor saying like, oh yeah, I might come back for a visit. And Craig says, you're not going to come back and visit. Mm-hmm. Like he yeah. just says like, I, I know you like, you know, we, un- there's not like they're best friends or anything, but like he understands him and he knows like the doctor mm-hmm. doesn't really come back for visits. Um, so just that kind of quiet little, it's okay. I understand you can have the keys anyway, you know? Right. As Um, a memory, as a memento of whatever. Yeah. Right. Right. And I guess just a kind of, 
you're always welcome even if you don't actually, you know, we don't expect you to come back, but mm -hmm. you could, you know, kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, so, all of that said, what do you have to say about the actual device in the second floor that doesn't exist? <laughs> well, I mean, I guess just that there's kind of a... I don't think this is hugely significant that there's like a connection, but there's kind of a similarity to the the missing room and the perception filter in the 11th hour that I think is interesting. Um, mm. Like this idea of like a room that either you forget is there or, or that it cheats your perception of it in some way. Um, and then the other big thing um, is it's very quick and throwaway, but the fact that it is kind of a TARDIS, you know, that the doctor says it's someone's attempt to build a TARDIS. And then, so when you get in there, it's, you know, they get inside and it's a spaceship, basically. It's way bigger on the inside. And the design of it is even, you know, evocative of the TARDIS. Like, it has that, that central console with the columns, mm. kind of similar to how the TARDIS usually looks. Um, so... It's very kind of subtle, and we don't ever find out. It's another... There's a lot of Girl in the Fireplace references in this episode. It's another malfunctioning spaceship where the crew's gone. So mm. so we don't have... We don't know who was who built this. Um, right, because it's just went. sort of an automated yeah. system. It, yeah, is... and it's just doing... And it's killing people thinking it's trying to repair itself. So... Um, Again, there's no real villain. Which is it's just also like the girl on the fireplace. Exactly. Um, luckily, it didn't cannibalize the crew. But um, but so I think it's know. interesting that you get this TARDIS, but you don't know who built it, you know, or what happened to them, or where they went. Um, so uh, I would say keep that in mind and mm. keep an eye out for that that visual of kind of what it looks like um because we uh might see that console room again in the future okay Very... that's all i'll say about that <laughs> that's all i have to say about that um <laughs> to quote forrest gump yeah yeah uh yeah i don't i don't have anything really bad to all that just waiting i guess to see what else yeah. may develop <laughs> um so yeah yeah cool. cool well next week is the first part of the two-part finale oh really already wow. yeah so we're gonna wrap up the season pretty soon here i guess so in the next two weeks it sounds like yeah oh yeah and then, um, is there like a special or something after that? Or, uh, is it, well, or we'll does do that our, go into... We'll do our recap, mm -hmm. as we do. And then we'll have a Christmas special. And then we will go into season six. I gotcha. All right. Well, I guess we'll we'll be back for all of that soon enough then. Yep. See you then. Mm -hmm.